howdy. Martinis in the morning. Well, it's 8 p.m. for us here, so anything goes. <laughs> Just get stuck in. But it is water because otherwise I'll forget everything that I intended to say. Yes. We'll go for the martinis later, I think. Shall right. we begin? Yeah. All right. So, Rachel. Yeah. The Enterprise investigates the wreckage of a 21st century Earth spaceship orbiting a distant planet that appears to have a 20th century Earth casino. Hmm. What do you think you're going to get? No doubt there'll be plenty of shenanigans caused by this so-called lifeless planet. I know that Data wears a Stetson in it, so he's going to be a high roller ranch owner for some reason. <laughs> Let's see. I'm hoping for craps, but knowing Star Trek, it will be poker or maybe blackjack. Mm. The one woman allowed down will be Pulaski again, though everyone would rather see Troy or Guinan take on a casino. Light beings will make them gamble for their lives. Sounds good. I believe it. I think that's exactly what's going to happen in the whole episode. Let's see. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, star date 426.25.4. We're entering orbit around the 8th planet in this previously unmapped Theta-116 solar system. We diverted from our scheduled course when a passing Klingon cruiser reported discovering pieces of a strange vessel in the upper atmosphere of this planet. We have come to investigate. Yeah, more like the singular of craps, Magic Thighs. Totally agree, and that is a one-word review. <laughs> craps sandwich. Welcome to Rachel Watch's Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackett. And I'm Chris Lackey. And you're joining us here for the Next Generation episode, The Royale. Mm. Mm. Do you remember this one, Chris? I do remember it, and I remember not liking it, and my memory was on the money. I remember not liking it as well. <laughs> it was written by Keith Mills and directed by Cliff Boyle, but Keith Mills is actually Tracy Torme. Mm, I'm sensing someone distancing themselves from this episode, quite y rightly. Yes, it was because good old Maurice Hurley got his fingers into this episode and Tracy Torme was like, I don't want my name on this anymore. Mm. It's not mine. Out of here. But we can talk about that more later. Uh, let's get into this episode. Yeah, there's quite a consensus here that it's pretty bad. Forrest, very, very poor. Soul sucked out of a version of a hundred different episodes of Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not good, is it? <laughs> the episode begins with the Enterprise in orbit around the eighth planet of the Theta-116 system. It seems a Klingon ship discovered a strange vessel wrecked on the planet, and they are there to investigate. Picard is puzzling over an unsolved math equipment maths equation called Fermat's Last Theorem. Picard goes on about how amazing this guy was to do what he did without any computers. More on this in concepts. Exciting developments. Yes. Yeah. So they got a piece of the ship and they're beaming it over to the Enterprise. Picard, Riker, and good old Miles O'Brien. Oh, yeah. They love shoehorning him into this episode. Get that all guy episodes. in. Is he a competition winner? <laughs> or someone's son? No. He is, isn't he? He is one of those very ubiquitous Irish actors. He's in lots of movies. I know. I like him a lot. You uh, know, they kind of have Miles O'Brien in episodes more than they have Deanna. Definitely. Yeah, more than any of the women put together. Oof. Now, when they beam this chunk over, it has a NASA logo with the United States flag on it, but this one has 52 stars. And there's a two-minute slow zoom in on the panel. <laughs> 
really padding, <laughs> padding it out. So who do you think might have been added to the United States? Uh, well, Puerto Rico was one of those that people have been talking about should have statehood for quite some time. Yeah. I've read some people suggesting that the city of New York should become its own state. Sheer yeah. population and size. Mm. Uh, uh, the city of New York is bigger, I think, population-wise than Montana. Oh, wow. And North Dakota and all that stuff. D.C., uh, if you're saying D.C. D.C., Guam. Guam, oh. That's another one that they were right, talking okay. about? Okay. Oh, later in the Observation Lounge, data confirms that it's from mid-21st century Earth, this panel. But no one has any idea how it could have got out this far, hundreds of light years from Earth. And I'm not sure if they're really going to... They're not going to explain it, are they? Nope. It's going to be as mysterious as that maths theorem. <laughs> They tell us at the end. Data says it looks like it was destroyed by modern weaponry, though. Mm -hmm. Very puzzling for them. Wesley finds a small portion of the planet is actually habitable. Even the rest of it, it has an atmosphere that's very cold and it's got ammonia in it. So it's totally not habitable. 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 And as someone said earlier, it's too cold to be possible. It's below absolute zero. Oh. And too old to be possible because <laughs> it's older than the universe. So well done. But this one area is habitable and there seems to be some kind of structure there as well uh, with breathable air, warm air. Picard has Riker, Worf and Data beam down to the planet. They beam into this black void with green clouds Ooh, above. Yeah. Moving very quickly, rapidly, storming over them, and a very single retro-style revolving door attached to nothing. And they're very brightly lit by... Uh, nothing. There is nothing else around, yet they are very it's well very lit. Very soundstage. Data says there's a structure there, but they can't see it. They can only see the door. Riker reports to the Enterprise, and Picard tells them to check it out. Once they go inside, communication is lost. What they find inside is an old-style casino which looks kind of a 50s, 60s casino, but everybody's super 80s. John Hazard points out that it's very Squire of Gothos. Oh, right. Okay. To and, be trapped there. Well, the kind of surrealness of it yes. as well. Data notes they lost communication, so they should leave, as is the rule. But Riker says, oh, it all seems safe enough. Let's go in and have a little bit of fun. Now, a bellhop tells them they should go check in at the front desk. Uh, the assistant manager welcomes them to the Hotel Royale. Now, this actor, Sam Anderson, is one of these ubiquitous character actors from the 80s into the 90s. I've seen him all over the place, lots of things. The thing I think he's probably most well-known for is Principal DeWitt on Growing Pains, because he was on there multiple times. I've never seen that. He did look kind of familiar, though. He's very menacing in this for seemingly no reason. Not very welcoming as a receptionist. Yeah, I think they're trying to make it seem... Like he is, there's a threat. There is a threat that's well, going is, on yeah. because they want us to feel tension. Yeah. And as Alison says, the stupid expert count begins with them staying <laughs> there to investigate. And John's pointing out it's like the squire also because of the small habitable zone. Yes. In an otherwise. Yes, yes. Impossible place. Yes. Forrest says Kirk's glittery spacesuit from the Tholian web would have fit in quite well at this casino. If only. <laughs> <laughs> The function of this assistant desk, manager, assistant manager is yeah. just exposition, I suppose. Now, the bellhop goes up to the assistant manager and he's asking him if he's heard from Rita. Mm. Now, the assistant manager tells him, forget about Rita. She's not worth it. The bellhop says, I'm not afraid of Mickey D. <laughs> McDonald's, I guess. Sure. And the assistant manager says, you should be your fool for not being scared of Mickey D. 
So our guys get their room key and some poker chips on the house. They seem to be mistaken for some, for some foreign investors, which is um, what they will turn out to be I, to them in the end. I got so many questions, or maybe problems. They're not well, really questions, but we'll, we'll get to that in concepts at the end of the episode. Now, Worf asks, who are you to the assistant manager, and where did you come from? And he says, well, that's my personal life, and it's none of your business. Uh, yeah, all right then. <laughs> You're the one having the personal conversation in front of the new guests about Mickey D and Rita. You know, it's like we're opening it up. The assistant manager says they are on Earth, but then he leaves to go sort some mail or something. Yeah. Data begins scanning with his tricorder. These beings, are they machines? Or mere illusions designed to deceive us? Not illusion, Lieutenant. They do exist, but they do not register as either man or machine. Take this creature, for example. He does not exhibit any DNA structure. Excuse me, son. Look who's talking. And you sound just like my ex-wife. All right. Time to get out of business. What sort of business do you suppose he is getting down to? Excuse me, son. Look who's talking, man. You did, That's terrible. What is that? Is that New York? Was that I don't know what you're doing there. Well, excuse me, son. Look who's talking, man. You sound just like my ex-wife. All right, time to get back to business. That's pretty good. Sorry if you're That's from better. anywhere in the South. Andrew Brenneman wants to turn back the clock and watch the DS9 Casino episode. Do you know that one? Oh, yes. Is that a good yes. one? Yeah, it is a good one. Back on the Enterprise, Picard is harassing Wesley and LaFord for some answers as to why they lost communication. He asks if an intelligence cut them off, but there isn't enough information to know. So we're going to keep popping back and forth to those guys yes. without much story really coming out of it. Rafe, are you saying that my amazing Texan accent sounded like Louis Armstrong? <laughs> Business. Business. <laughs> Business. <laughs> Now, Troy says she can still sense Riker, and he's not concerned, but amused. Hmm. Now, I think we've talked about Deanna's powers on the show. She's really tr cranking it up now, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, but this is crazy. If you think about it, she can sense somebody's emotion from, now, standard orbit around a planet, synchronized orbit, is 23,000 miles. <laughs> so she can sense somebody's emotion from 23,000 miles away. Now, the Earth's diameter is 7,900 miles. Whoa. Okay. So basically, maybe it's only Riker because they're kind of matched, aren't they? It's still, <laughs> it's still twenty-seven thousand miles. That's bigger than the planet side by side, five times. My math's terrible. Four times. More it's, powerful than the Enterprise. Yeah. So I think it's a little nuts that that she's actually this powerful that over thousands of miles she can sense somebody's emotions. Just pointing that out. Yeah, that is pretty ridiculous. Now, Data goes over to the blackjack table where there is this younger, kind of trashy-looking woman Aww. losing her money uh, and this older guy called Texas who is creeping on her. The guy buddies up to Data, puts his hat on Data's head and says, hey, why don't you join our game? Data accesses the rules of blackjack just in his own memory and he does some fancy card cutting and impresses both Texas and the woman. She loses some more money. Texas wins. Andrew's saying maybe Troy has to charge her powers up and she's just blown three seasons of power in this. <laughs> just to uselessly feel that Riker's amused. <laughs> that must be how it works. 
Noble Willingham is the actor playing Texas, mm. best known for his role as C.D. Parker on the TV series Walker, Texas Ranger. Have you seen oh. that? Did you like that? No, I that? never watched that show, no. Also in City Slickers, one and two, I loved whichever one's got the little um, animal in it. Isn't Billy Crystal in it? Yeah. I loved that film when I was a kid. I don't remember the second one, but the first one is good. Yeah, it's a bunch of city people. Yeah, of course. Middle-aged men decide they're going to go to a ranch and become Uh, cowboys for a while. And then trouble happens. Data does well in the game, but then Riker pulls him away to actually do some work. Data asks Texas to watch his chips, which he happily does. Back on the Enterprise, Picard wants an update. Back for another scene to confirm they don't know what's going on. But Wesley and Geordie are trying stuff. That's the summary of most of these scenes on the Enterprise. Yes. Riker starts to get a bit wigged out. So he decides, you know, maybe we should go. And they try to go through the revolving doors. But when they go, they just come right back in. They're trapped. No. They try to find another way out. Worf attempts to blast through a wall and Data asks some slot ladies. None of it works. It seemed like at that point nobody in the casino could hear them or see them anymore. They were ignoring them. I got the sense that they were sort of automatons, that they weren't, whatever they're made of, holograms or if they were machines or whatever they were. You Remember Data says he didn't know what they were. Yeah. Part of this drama that's playing out, they're not going to be any help. Because it's not relevant to the story of the book, as we find out later. I guess. On the Enterprise, LaForge has found a way to break through the interference, and Troy says that she feels Riker is now feeling trapped. What a waste of my time. (laughs) Just get on with it. Uh, Yeah. Just make it shorter. It's okay. It's all right. (laughs) Riker's going back to the front desk, and he sees that the bell boy Mm -hmm. has a gun. The assistant manager tells him he's being a fool. But the guy insists that Mickey D is going to leave Rita alone one way or the other. <sighs> so Riker tells the assistant manager that he wants to leave. And the assistant manager says the exits are clearly marked. Mm-hmm. Riker says, that, well, that's not working. And the assistant manager tells them to take it up with the manager. And he goes, OK, let me talk to the manager. And he goes, sorry, he's busy. Why did you mention it then? <laughs> Don't bring up the manager if you're not going to say they're not available. Picard is able to get a garbled communication through. And they explain that they are trapped. And Picard says, look, we're working on a solution. Data says that he's found some human DNA up in one of the rooms, and then they go to investigate. Well done. At least somebody's thinking. Now, Stephen said he lived in Vegas for 11 years. Oh, wow. All the casinos are like that, so you just have to keep sitting and gambling because you can't find the exit. Like Ikea. It is like Ikea. Which I also hate. Yeah. I actually, I don't hate Vegas, but I do hate Ikea. (laughs) In one of the rooms, they find a dried out human skeleton. Data says the corpse is of a human male. Riker thinks he died in his sleep. I don't know why he thinks that. Worf thinks that that's a horrible way to die. I didn't catch him saying that in the episode. At least that's an attempt at a bit of humor. It's a shame that passed me by. There's no honor in dying in your sleep. Yeah. Data says that the man died 283 years ago and that the corpse has been preserved by the sterile environment. Rafe, are you saying that Troy could probably add that Worf is feeling grumpy, even if she couldn't sense him, it's 99% likely to be right? <laughs> she might as well throw it in. <laughs> I mean, it's just as useful as the other information, to be honest. Now, this sterile environment, that wouldn't stop the sheets getting all gooey. If, if someone's turning from human to skeleton, it doesn't just evaporate, does it? Yeah. Eh? 283 years, it would totally evaporate. It would evaporate like in a day or two. It would dry out. 
Sterile just means there's no germs or bacteria. So then it doesn't decompose. It won't decompose that way, but it'll dry out. So the sheets would be completely clean. No, they won't be clean. They are clean, though. Well, there's like this kind of gray powder around it. Yeah. Which I think is maybe dried. Dried, flaked off. Flaked off skin or the liquids, because there were liquids in his body when he died. And those yeah. would have eventually, you know, busted through the skin and he would have bloated. It'd be well, gross. Yeah. John says the sheets would be gross. I say yeah, they would be gross well, too, but they weren't gross. They'd be gross, but dried up gross because it's been 283 years. It would yeah, dry out by then. And brushed off. And as Peter said, if it's colder than absolute zero, <laughs> <laughs> freeze dried. <laughs> True. Yeah. War finds an old flight suit in the closet. It matches the space debris and it has the name Colonel S. Ritchie on it. Now they're able to get stable communications with the Enterprise. Well, well done, Jordy. He's always yeah, on it, isn't he? Of course. Riker tells them about Colonel Ritchie and they found a journal and a paperback novel called Hotel Royale. Data reads the book in a minute, just speed reads it, and Picard says there was a Colonel Stephen G. Ritchie who was the commander of a space mission that left Earth in 2037. It was the third mission that attempted to leave the solar system <laughs> a bit behind, don't we? The ship was lost. Mm-hmm. Data explains that the novel is a crappy pulp about murder, adultery, and crime. Yes, David. Why are they keeping the casino going for 300 years with no audience yeah, and for it, no purpose? It doesn't make a lick of sense. There's so many things about this that really don't make any sense. Why now, are they still running that program? Riker says it's obvious the novel's being played out around them because they've they've seen you know the thing with Mickey D and the gun and the bellhop. He reads there's a journal there, and Riker reads there's only one entry in the journal from Colonel Ritchie. Thank goodness. At least we don't have to watch ten logs like we did in the last oh episode. <laughs> read everything out in his diary to fill time. So the journal states that he is the sole survivor of his crew that got some kind of alien contamination. He found himself in the Hotel Royale and that this novel is being brought into reality somehow. He thinks the aliens made it for him out of some kind of guilt and use the novel as a kind of guide for what kind of environment or civilization he comes from. Because they can read English, <laughs> but they don't just ask him. They, they could read English, okay, but how do they know, for example... To make everyone look 80s. What a roulette table is. How you play. How you play these games. All these very complicated things. Just as it's like the Alice in Wonderland shawl leave episode. Maybe they do somehow probe his mind and then they extrapolate all the stuff from his mind. But then if they could do that, then why didn't they know that he didn't really want this? Yeah. Maybe they have no concept of death, says James Holloway. Or they just think he's going through a bit of a slow patch because they don't <laughs> they don't know that just lying there, freeze drying, <laughs> means you're dead. It says in his journal that he managed to live 38 years. There. So he lived a long time afterwards. Well, yeah. Uh, the aliens obviously didn't know that the book wasn't how humans actually lived, and it became a sort of hell for Richie. Oh. He said in his journal he welcomed death. Yikes. Picard, though, he wonders, why can't they leave? So do I. <laughs> it might have been a more interesting episode if the guy was still alive, and then they could have interacted with him in his hell. And the impact that it had on him to have been there for decades. Yeah. And him trying to get out. There'd be no mystery element to it. And that's almost the whole episode. Oh, it's not worth it, <laughs> is it, flipping heck? I don't know what the original script was like, because this was changed a lot by Maurice. Got a bit on it. Yeah. At the end. And Empire Jeff, if he was still alive, he would be quite old, wouldn't he? <laughs> so that would be interesting. That's true. I suppose. Or a recreation of him, says Rafe. Yeah. 
Picard says that they might be able to phaser a hole through the bubble around the place and then beam the away team out, but Data calculates that they would only have 12 seconds before the atmosphere of the planet rushed in and killed them all. Dr. Pulaski says they would instantly be frozen, but she could revive them in principle. <laughs> she's good, isn't she? Oh, well, yeah. But she's not promising anything. <laughs> They're in the room with the freeze-dried guy. Forrest says there were seeds of a really spooky, horrifying episode. Twilight Zone style, but just destroyed through sheer boredom. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Webb, add water and stir. <laughs> what, stir the guy back to life or stir the episode into life? Oh. Either way. The phone rings in the hotel room, surprising them. Worf answers, do we want room service? Data thinks that's housekeeping, so they say no. And Worf is told that the kitchen is open at all times if they change their mind. We can see comedy from here. <laughs> But we're not. We're not laughing. We're not arriving. We're not. Yeah. We're not uh, and there. it's taken no further. Riker orders Data and Worf to the lobby while he explores the rest of the hotel. Now, Picard and Troy begin reading the novel Hotel Royale and quickly realize that it's terrible. Picard is dismayed, but Troy says, it may get better. <laughs> yeah, like the scripting of her character. Ooh. <laughs> Troy says at one point in there, did people really talk like this? And he goes, oh, no, this is terrible writing. And I, <laughs> Did they like, just add that in when they were recording Man, it? the pot calling the kettle black, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, Joe, we can see the comedy from thousands of miles off. <laughs> Troy can sense it. <laughs> no one else can. <laughs> the data returns to the blackjack table, and there's a whole conversation with Texas, which gets us nowhere. So we won't go into it. Texas is creeping and manipulating the woman. She shows her cards, this lady, asking for advice. The man advises her to take another card. Data gives her the opposite advice. She believes Texas and loses again, and she's almost broke. Why is her character relevant if she's not Rita? The subplot in the novel... Right. Texas basically tricks her into gambling away all of her money. She becomes vulnerable, and then he can perpetrate on her. Oh. Like, oh, you got no money? You can come stay in my room. Oh, I see. Perv on. Perv on. <laughs> Jason says, if they have housekeeping, at what point would the cleaners start to not distinguish the astronaut from just goo to be cleaned <laughs> up? <laughs> Good point. Yep. <laughs> so many questions, so few answers. <laughs> Mickey D enters through the revolving door and approaches the bellboy. It's on. Yes. Mickey D shoots the bellhop in the back, killing him, and says no woman is worth dying for, but is worth killing for. And then he leaves. Riker asks Picard how he can leave, and Picard explains, well, that's what happened on page 244. Mmm, so this must be the solution. Picard says the novel ends with the hotel being bought out by foreign investors for $12.5 million, who then leave the assistant manager in charge. The book doesn't describe the investors at all, conveniently. Sure. So they could be anyone, even space guys from the future. <laughs> Riker has a great idea. So Data says craps is a game of probabilities and he could win them money. It just turns out that Data can throw a dice to get a seven later, though, doesn't it? Just again and again, which has nothing to do with probabilities. He realizes they're weighted and he can adjust for that. And then for some reason, he can get a seven every time. He joins the craps table where Texas is helping the not very smart lady. Uh, she's losing. Data is given the dice. They talk about probabilities and random fortune. Data loses, but Texas believes in him and soon he's on a winning streak and everyone's betting that he's going to continue yeah. that way and not they're all making money. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. 
this part of the episode finally fizzes a little bit. Fizzes? Is that a good thing? Well, it's not crackling and it's oh, not I see, I see. Okay. going, is it? But it's just like a, a slight little, sizzle? slightly little bit of carbonation left in your old sparkling water. Because he does a little bit of a sassy shake. And, yeah. you know, Brent, he really goes for it. Uh, Riker's all right in it as well. <laughs> Uh, they make the money they need, then Picard comes in to micromanage. Stay in character. The investors are flamboyantly generous, he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Forrest, the um, house doesn't have any problem with him just winning and winning. No, bet at all. But, sir, the sale price of this edifice is $12.5 We need some spreading around money data. Sir? Bet at all. There you go. little something for you, Ziggy. little something for those cocktail waitresses. To run this outside, give it to the parking lot attendants. You're very kind, sir. Here you go, Vanessa. A little something for you, too. Thank you. When the train comes in, everybody rides. That's my favorite uh, line in the <laughs> episode. <laughs> Stephen, baby needs a new positronic brain. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Riker insists that they bet all $12.3 million. Texas bets against them. Even though Data says, don't. And then when he loses, he goes, you tricked me into betting against you. And Data's like, what's wrong with you? I said, don't do it. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, it's about to go off now. Nope. Nope. Nothing happens. No stakes. Ray says, only get on the Riker train if you've had all your shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So there's no consequences for them risking everything. No. You know, they do. They still won. Yeah. There's no consequences for them annoying Texas. Nope. Where's the drama? What's the point in any of this? There's none. Does anyone know? They buy the hotel, and then at that point, they are able to leave and beam out of there. We mercifully and eventually end with this. Sir, welcome back, number one. Very strange experience. Puzzling. I still can't comprehend how Colonel Ritchie's vessel could have traveled out that far. Not on its own, at any rate. Perhaps they were brought here by whoever created that make-believe world down there. It's possible they didn't know how fragile humans aboard actually were. Only one of them survived. None of it makes any sense. Like Fermat's theorem, it's a puzzle we may never solve. <laughs> That's my favorite uh, part of this episode. Isn't it? Yes, that they go, they say, you know what? None of this makes any sense, and we're never going to be able to understand it. <laughs> but we'll bring it back around to that maths theory we introduced earlier, so we'll get oh, away with man, it. man, what a stinker. Yeah. Let's get into concept, shall we? Rebecca, do we think the casino program keeps running, or will it actually finish now? They can't have been waiting this whole time for them to be the foreign investors, because they never knew they would show up unless they were waiting for some other space people to show up and complete the program. Has it repeated several times? Well, Is this the first time it's been completed? Why do they have to run, have a story from beginning to end? If, if they're aliens and they go, we need to make a habitat for this oh, human, right. why, why? Are they, why are they taking a, a narrative in the story and having it play out, I guess, over and over again? Rather than just make that setting for him. Yeah. Because was he one of the characters? Uh, seemingly not. And if he did figure it out, would the program end at that point? Or it really doesn't seem like anybody sat down and thought about this for any more than five minutes. It's very frustrating, this episode. 
Jeff says, the trick is to find a casino that will let you win all the money and then buy the casino. (laughs) Maybe that does take 300 odd years, actually. It could. Rafe says, Tracy Tormey talked a little about what his version of the episode was like in an interview, the relevant part of which appeared on a Sliders website. The Royals... Uh, it was really my attempt to, to, to do a prisoner show. The hotel oh. was the village, and the astronaut living there was like number six. Oh, okay. I can see that. We've been stuck inside novels before, or similar. A piece of the action. Yep. The big goodbye, elementary dear data. Mm. Um, how can we make a worn concept more boring? Yeah. Well, it turns out you can. <laughs> it's by not having any of the crew dress up or assume characters so that it's not funny or Mm. fun no whatsoever i feel like we need to check in on the comments are coming in thick and fast now this is what it's all about man we gotta get them okay why um john says why would ending the story allow richie to leave and die yeah all right why don't they let the enterprise crew leave and why do they let them in there's a lot of uh bizarre questions rafe continues this is all allegory every day he woke up and lived this strange life inside the vegas hotel being among all these people who weren't really people it was very surrealistic and kind of sad well it sounds like it tormented him doesn't it yeah it was awful very touching and very lonely and he didn't understand his own existence Jason says maybe the concept of linear time was new to the aliens. Yeah, maybe. I mean, let's try and explain it all away. <laughs> Boris said the astronaut should have been reanimated or a projection or something. Um, and the crew help him realize this, freeing him and them. Yeah, that would have been better, oh, yeah. wouldn't it? If they would had some interaction with him where he's still trapped in some way. Yeah. Or maybe he can give them the information rather than Picard having to come and solve it and micromanage as usual right yeah like they get him out of his purgatory that he's in he's like i can't it's been going on you know on and on yeah. and they keep me alive boy that would have been horrific too like yeah. i'm 280 years old and they don't let me out of this because the investors never show up and yeah and they and they think what he would want is to be immortal yeah and in and an like, no casino. they don't understand now here's some good news which many of you will already know because it's old news the maths problem was later solved by british mathematician andrew wiles in 1993 but there was an error he discovered a book about it age 10 and that set him off on this lifelong passion to so uh, solve the theorem. there was an error in the theorem well originally it's just as they said in the episode a note in a margin saying that um you know pythagoras theorem they said you can only do it squared like in pythagoras theorem you can't have it cubed or any higher for any whole number mm-hmm. um, and then this guy said that he had proof but conveniently it wouldn't fit into the margin so uh-huh. people have spent hundreds of years trying to find the proof that it isn't possible this guy discovered a book about the mathematician and set off on his quest he put it down for a while the uh, mathematician we're talking about but i realized he said the only techniques we had to tackle it had been around for 130 years it didn't seem that these techniques were really getting to the root of the problem the problem with working on fermat was that you could spend years getting nowhere it's fine to work on a problem so long as it generates interesting mathematics along the way Mm. In 1986, it was linked to another theory, which ignited him again. It was now a professionally acceptable focus, so he could get back on it. 
For seven years, it was in his every waking thought, oh, except when he played with his kids. That was the only time he didn't think about it. This guy is much more interesting than the episode. He said, perhaps I can best describe my experience of doing mathematics in terms of a journey through a dark, unexplored mansion. You enter the first room of the mansion and it's completely dark. You stumble around bumping into the furniture, but gradually you learn where each piece of furniture is. Finally, after six months or so, you find the light switch, you turn it on, and suddenly it's all illuminated. You can see exactly where you were. Then you move into the next room and spend another six months in the dark. So each of these breakthroughs, while sometimes they're momentary, sometimes over a period of a day or two, they are the culmination of, and couldn't exist without, the many months of stumbling around in the dark that preceded them. Doesn't he sound awesome, this guy? Yeah, absolutely. He worked tirelessly despite knowing that he may never find the solution. He just had to know he was on the right track and then he could keep going. The maths needed to solve the next stage may not have been discovered yet. So even if I was on the right track, I could be living in the wrong century. Hmm. So sci-fi. Yeah. You won't be surprised to know, Chris, <clears throat> that on the day he completed it in 1993, his wife was out with the kids. <laughs> 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 so he was undistracted yeah. and even when they returned they didn't call him for meals or anything oh that's nice so that's good isn't yeah. it uh, I bet there weren't many theorems solved during homeschooling guys oh. after the error was discovered that he had made he worked on it for another year with Richard Taylor and repaired the proof 150 pages long this proof Jeez Louise. He thinks Fermat was bullshitting that he had proof. <laughs> it's so complex. Finally, his advice, always try the problem that matters most to you. I had this rare privilege of being able to pursue in my adult life what had been my childhood dream. His odyssey is over now and his mind is at rest. What a guy. 10 out of 10 for him. <laughs> Love him. Let's get on to entertainment. Well, it was tiresome, wasn't it? Yes. Overlong. Pointless, holodeck-esque episode. This was one of two scripts that won Tall May a staff job on TNG. It was kind of a sur surrealistic piece, but with a lot of comedy and a lot of subtle satire in it. Tall May used a pseudonym to protest rewrites by Maurice Hurley, who took out the surrealism and said it was too derivative of a piece of the action. Tall May said, I felt like a lot of the comedy was taken out, a lot of the surrealism. I feel like it's very heavy-handed now, and it's gone from being a strange episode to being a stupid episode. Mm. Captain Slugs the Unauthorised, Complete Trek Voyages. I think we can all agree with that. Yep. David says, magic is right. A story of solving this math puzzle would have been better. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. So director Cliff Ball cited budget cuts as his excuse and called it claustrophobic. Well, well, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. There was no sense of danger or fun. The only bit I liked was Data rolling the dice. Mm. Saying the dialogue is cliched and lame does not excuse it. From being <laughs> cliched and lame, yeah. Just make it better. Yeah. They made no use of Worf. Why was he even there, really? There was one female character. None of the female crew were involved. No. Uh, she was a dumb young woman being taken advantage of by a creepy older dude, so that's very... <sighs> Star Trek, Troy limply saying how Riker was feeling was our only other contribution from the women. Come mm. on. Magic thighs, it's like Groundhog Day, which we've just had, haven't we? In uh, the um, Discovery. Discovery episode mm. that we did. But instead of the tragic comedy, Bill Murray is dead. <laughs> we just get to see the goings on in Puxatani. Puxatani. Three out of ten. Is that too generous? 
I've been more bored by yeah. the episode before. So, yeah, I'll give it a three out of ten. And Brian says, is there some kind of anti-Bechdel test where you can have two apparent female characters and one doesn't even show up on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> Sexiness. The killer guy was styling it out 80 style with all the coats on, wasn't he? He looked all right. Oh, uh, Mickey D. I liked the uh, exploited woman's curly hair. Hmm. Troy looked great in that outfit. Yeah, she's wearing does. Yeah. She always does. And Data and Rike had a certain something when they were winning at craps, but overall it can still you can't give it any more than two point five. Two point five. Two point five. Yeah. Absolutely. Stupid experts. Well, I thought if they tried one of them going through the revolving door it might have worked, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna is it for story. Detecting the human DNA led to the solution. So that's something, isn't it? Geordie was working hard as usual. Yeah, the only stupid expert thing that we actually got was that Riker stuck around instead of leaving. He couldn't have left. No, So anyway. they would have just found that out a little bit earlier and it really wouldn't have made any difference. But it was yeah. still kind of a stupid thing to do. We got to have Picard with his book expertise coming in and helping us out. Joe Webb says the stupid experts was the rewriter. Yes. Yep. Thanks a lot, Maurice. Thanks, Maurice. The temperature was below absolute zero, so that's impossible. And the planet was estimated to be 72 billion year, Earth years old, far older than the universe <laughs> itself. So, stupid writers. So I, I, I guess one out of five for stupid experts, but five out of five for stupid writers. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I give it a one out of five. Your guesses. I said there'd be shenanigans caused by the lifeless planet. Yeah. The shenanigans weren't at them. They just were there already, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, Data was wearing a Stetson. He wasn't a high roller, but well, he was he was wearing that type of guy's Hold on, technically, hat. he was no, a high he roller. No, he, he won was. a bunch of money. What more high no, rolling right. do you need to be? That's true, all right. I'm giving enough. you that one. Thanks. I was hoping for craps, yes. But knowing Star Trek, it'll be black poker or blackjack, yes. Mm -hmm. The one woman allowed will be Pulaski, no. Light beings will make them gamble for their lives, Kind of, but not intentionally. Yeah. Rafe says that this is at 16 point total, uh, the 12th worst episode ever. All right. Joint with Contagion and the TOS episode, Bread and Circuses and The Children Shall Lead. Oh, man, oh, man. Sounds about right. Yeah, it does, honestly. doesn't it? Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to everyone who was on our live stream commenting. Thank you for our beautiful patrons for supporting the show. And join us on Patreon if you haven't already. All right. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!